This is episode 50 featuring my interview with Trey and Brandon from the Connect Run Club. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I hope you're having a good week and that your running is rocking and rolling right now. Today's podcast is actually different than any other episode we've produced so far. That's because I'm not interviewing anybody. In fact, I'm the one being interviewed. About two years ago, I was a guest for the Running Summit, which was an event put on by the team over at Connect Run Club. And I want to share the audio with you because I think it's valuable for a lot of reasons. First, it's really broad. We talk about everything from how I got into running, my injury prevention philosophy, the biggest areas to focus on if you want to improve, how running scales, the perfect types of runners for online coaching, and the most important aspects of running form to keep in mind. So there's a lot that we cover in this interview, and we also do some Q&A at the end that runners submitted in real time. So, you know, I'm answering questions about the 10% rule on building mileage, the run less, run faster training approach, whether you can split a long run into two runs on the same day, and a bunch more questions. So I think you should look at this episode as kind of your big go-to episode on how I think about running. And I'm sharing it so you can hopefully glean some insights into more strategic planning for your training, because better planning always leads to faster racing. So I also want to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's show. They let you take a selfie from the inside, which, <laughs> hold on, I know that sounds kind of creepy, but I promise you it's legit. Uh, what they do is test over 40 health markers, everything from stress hormones to iron to determine if you have any deficiencies that might derail your running. So if you go to insidetracker.com and use the code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout, you'll save 10% on any test. Me personally, I used the ultimate tier of their testing packages because I really wanted to see everything that was going on in my own body, and I had a really great experience with uh, the platform and the whole testing process. So I hope you use the code to save a little dough on your inside tracker test. All right, we're going to dive into my interview with Trey and Brandon at the Connect Run Club now. I hope you enjoy it. Let's do this. All right, we want to welcome you guys back to the Running Summit. We're super excited to have Jason Fitzgerald with us today from uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, having a, a blast out there. Uh, Jason is the head coach at strengthrunning.com, one of the web's largest coaching sites for runners and award-winning running blog. He's a 239 marathoner, which means he could destroy me and Trey at pretty much anything. A USATF certified coach best-selling author uh, and his work has been all over the place including runner's world competitor life hacker business insider fitness magazine and a bunch of other places he's got a passion for helping runners set monster personal best and his free injury prevention course has helped thousands of runners beat injuries and stay healthy long term check him out at strengthrunning.com but first off, i want to help want to welcome jason to the run some so thanks for hanging out with us today yeah my pleasure thanks so much for having me yeah, it's great. As he was reading that, I, I will say that me and Brandon have both been at the two hour and 39 minute mark in a marathon. We just haven't been as close to the finish as you have in the past. But I was like, that's a good half time. <laughs> but, uh, hey, but we enjoy spending some time with you a few months ago and so excited to talk with you again today. Uh, you know, there, there's a 
this is one of those, you know, having you on today addresses one of the big needs that we all have as runners that hey, we, we, we all love to do this activity. We want to find a way to do it long term and how to stay healthy. So that is a, a big reason I think we're all excited to have you on to talk about how we can do it and do it more often without getting injured. Yeah, I think, you know, anyone who's who's followed my work over the years knows how uh, how just adamant I am about the importance of injury prevention, because if you can stay healthy for a long period of time, as opposed to, you know, the 60 to 70 percent of runners who will get hurt on an annual basis, then you're going to be able to run more. You're going to be able to be more consistent, do more consistent workouts, and ultimately you're going to run a lot faster. Uh, and I think that's a big goal that most runners have. So I just think it's it's one of the very important things that all runners should be focusing on. Yeah, love that. Well, hey, we'd we'll, we'll love to kind of get into your background a little bit. And I, I know this is stuff that kind of impacted you personally as you've been trying to figure it out too over the years. So we'd we'll love to kind of get into your running background a little bit, if that's okay, Jason. Yeah, sure. Um, so I started running as a freshman in high school uh, about, oh, about 18 years ago or so. And uh, I actually hated running at the time. I did not want to run. Wow. Uh, I thought running was boring. But I thought that I could high jump if I uh, went out for the cross country team, and I soon realized that there is no, there are no field events in cross country. It's not like track. <laughs> so instead of high jumping, I went for a three mile run. Could not even finish twenty minutes, uh, the first twenty minutes of that run, and uh, I was in agonizing muscle soreness for about a week afterward. But uh, I was really lucky in that the team was really great. My coach was. Uh, really nice and knowledgeable, and, and he was very good at what he does. Uh, and so I stuck with it. And I went from being a basketball player who hated running to, uh, you know, a full-on running geek who just absolutely loved uh, everything there is about running. So uh, I basically just stuck with cross-country, indoor track, and outdoor track mm -hmm. all throughout my high school career. Uh, then I ran in uh, college at Connecticut College in New London, uh, Connecticut. And I never stopped. I mean, I kept running and then I started getting into longer stuff, you know, the 10 mile half marathon distances. And then I moved up to the marathon for the first time in 2008. Um, and that marathon, which was the New York City Marathon, was kind of a turning point in my running career. Because up until then, I had been very injury prone. Uh, I pretty much had every running injury that you can imagine. And it was as you can imagine, enormously frustrating. And I knew that I had a lot more potential. I knew that I could be more consistent and run a lot faster. And so, you know, after the New York City Marathon, I didn't run for six months. I had an agonizing IT band injury and uh, I didn't run a step for about six months. And when I finally got healthy, when I finally took a hard look at my training, um, I made a lot of adjustments to that training. And uh, you know, I, I put injury prevention as a top goal. I changed how I approached workouts and mileage. Uh, I added in a lot of very runner specific uh, kind of strength and core training. Uh, and, you know, since about 2009, you know, I've only had about one significant running injury. Uh, and, and wow. you know, of course, little aches and pains happen, yeah. you know, what comes with being a runner. But, you know, those those big injuries, those injuries where you have to take two, three weeks off, the season-ending injuries, um, I haven't had any of those. Uh, and so I've been very fortunate. And I think, you know, that really significant injury that I had was actually a blessing in disguise because it not only helped me kind of revamp my own training and helped me, uh, you know, run more than I ever had before. I improved my marathon from, uh, I ran about 244 
New York. And then I went to run 239 at the Philadelphia Marathon. Um, but it also kind of changed the way I thought about effective training for runners. And it was, you know, one of the reasons why I started strength running in 2010. What what what, uh, what did you find when you began to dig in and trying to find answers? Was it was it stuff in your background? Where, where did you where did you originally try and dig in and say, hey, what have I learned in the past, and, and and how did how did you kind of evolve into what strength running is today? Yeah, good question. So um, I basically I learned a lot from you know all the coaches I've had over the mm -hmm. years. You know had over 10 coaches yeah. at the high school and college level, everyone from different types of strength coaches to uh, middle distance coaches and, and more distance coaches. Um, learned a lot from them. Uh, I'm the kind of running geek that owns almost every running book on the planet. So, um, you know, I've de I'm definitely uh, a little bit self-taught in that, yeah. you know, I love soaking up as much knowledge as possible. I love reading everything there is to know about uh, running that I can get my hands on. Um, and, and I took a lot from the worlds of physical therapy and strength coaches to really um, kind of influence the way that I, uh, I coach runners. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of runners will kind of, you know, run, I'm kind of known as like the strength routine coach. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the other aspects of my coaching that don't get as much uh, attention are the fact that I'm uh, a big believer in, you know, working on the aerobic metabolism and making sure that runners are uh, prioritizing endurance over most other uh, types of training. You know, I think runners are doing, for the most part, a lot of runners are doing training that's not specific to the goal race that they're trying to, uh, that they're actually training for. So they're running, you know, repeat 400s, you know, at less than 5k pace uh, when they're training for a marathon. And they're doing this 10 weeks before their goal marathon, you know, so workouts like that, I've completely stripped from not only my training, but, you know, the training that I use with my athletes. Uh, and, and, you know, we focus much more on goal specific types of workouts. And uh, I'm also, you know, I'm a lot more patient. And I try to instill that value in my runners as well. Uh, because, you know, we try not to make any decisions today that will negatively impact tomorrow's workout. And so a good kind of way of thinking about that is tomorrow's workout is always more important than today's workout. And that means we're going to go slow if necessary. We're going to cut the distances if necessary. So I'm pretty cautious when it comes to um, revising or adjusting my runner's training if they need it. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a really important, um, you know, thing that thing to do when you are, uh, you know, just training really hard and, and trying to put in the, the big workouts and long runs. Uh, you know, the body is not a machine. Sometimes we have to give it a break. You know, I would love to get your thoughts on this. And I, I think I hear you kind of going this way is that one of the intriguing things to me, and I think a view I used to have of running is I would have a goal race and everything would evolve around that race. And hey, whether it's good news or bad news, you know, I would be too, uh, you know, too let down after that race because everything was evolving around that race or or I thought too much of that race. And so I, 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 I kind of hear you saying that it's more of a process and more of hey, how are you progressing over seasons and not just maybe one single race? Is that kind of an outlook that you take with runners to say, hey, let, let's just let's look at your improvement overall and not just hey, how you actually ran in this one race? Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective. It's not you know, I want to run a, I want to break four hours in the marathon. How do I do it 
you know, within the next four months, it's, well, are you even ready to have that goal in the first place? You know, let's focus on doing the best you can today and this week and this month and on and on and on. Uh, and, and making sure that you're not making short-sighted training decisions and trying to rush your training. Uh, and this is why, you know, a lot of runners will ask me, can you write me a training plan to, you know, get me to qualify for Boston? And, I'm, you know, my answer is always, well, you, you know, you're not going to have – and no training plan is going to get you to Boston if yeah. you're not ready to even run that race. And so, you know, we're always looking for uh, – we look at a runner's current fitness level, and then we build the training for that. So all your training needs to be right for your fitness level, your unique, um, you know, goals, your injury background. And it's not for whatever goal race that you're training for. I mean, I don't write time-based training plans because, you know, a training plan for one runner training to run a three hour and 30 minute marathon might look very similar to a training plan for a four hour and 30 minute marathoner. You know, the distance, I mean, the, the differences might just be you know, how the workouts are run and a couple other small things. So there's definitely an emphasis on progress over time and long-term progress uh, and making, you know, small changes to each training cycle over a long period of time. And that's why I love coaching runners for a long period of time, because, you know, there's only so much progress you're going to make in a month or two. Uh, And I think if you're expecting to make that kind of progress, you know, take 10 minutes off my 5k time in the next two races, you know, running doesn't really work like that. Yeah. Well, where do you like to start with the runner? So when, when a runner first comes to you, hey, this is, uh, we'd love to get better as a runner, would love to get faster, would love to get stronger. Where do you first start? When you start assessing a runner, what are mm-hmm. the biggest things that you do up front as you begin to work with different runners? Great question. Um, when I start working with a runner, whether that's um, a one-on-one coaching client, whether that's someone who just wants a training plan built specifically for them, you know, uh, kind of a custom program. What I have them do is fill out uh, an extensive runner questionnaire. And in the questionnaire, you know, there's like over 20 questions. I ask all about their current fitness level, what their mileage has been like, whether or not they're doing any sort of faster workouts, cross training, uh, what their goals are, their current list of personal bests, uh, and all these other things that really give me a great idea of the runner's history and their current uh, ability level. And then we kind of take the next logical step. You know, a lot of runners, um, you know, the things that they need to improve fall into a couple categories. They're, they're A, they're not doing any strength work. So, you know, they typically tend to get injured more frequently. Uh, they're rushing their training. So we take a more uh, long-term perspective. Uh, they're not running enough. You know, if you're trying to run a marathon off 25 miles a week, you know, it's going to be very difficult, you know, so running more mileage is always one of the uh, best ways to become a faster runner without doing any faster training. You know, you don't always have to run faster all the time to to ultimately run faster races. A lot of times you just need more endurance uh, to be able to hold the pace that you're already capable of running for just a little bit longer period of time. Um, So there's that there's, uh, yeah, and then there's also, you know, what kind of workouts are you running? A lot of runners aren't running race-specific workouts. They're kind of just doing, you know, they find a workout in Runner's World magazine, and then they kind of read a different workout online, and they kind of are just doing this mix and match. You know, they're trying a little bit of everything. Um, but 
running doesn't really work like that. You know, I love, I love sampling too, you know, especially at a party with hors d'oeuvres, but it doesn't really work with workouts. So, um, you know, we take a much more uh, systematic approach to not only their workouts, but also how their mileage is, is increasing. Um, but you know what, I'll tell you the, probably one of the things that I uh, work on most with my runners is actually reining them in, uh, having them run less, having them run slower because, a lot of the times they're simply working too hard and they're not working too smart. Uh, and so by making those key changes, a lot of these runners are having, you know, significant performance improvements after a few months, just because they're working a lot more intelligently. It's really funny. You, you mentioned that. I mean, I don't, can't tell you how many, how many coaches or kind of uh, experts we've talked to recently from Jeff Galloway to Bill Pierce with the run less run, uh, run faster. And, and I don't know how many coaches we've talked with recently who, I'll say the exact same thing that, uh, you know, it is trying to hold athletes back. And, you know, I just know from a, a lot of guys I run with is that I, I feel like on our average six mile run, they're trying to run their fastest 10 K and, and it, it, yeah. and it, you know, is it, it's hard for us to grasp sometimes that doing a little bit less and doing a little bit slower will actually make us more efficient as a runner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, runners are typically type a personalities, you know, we, you know, we're the people that get up at five in the morning to get our run in before work, mm -hmm. uh, or we're the people that put our kids to bed and then go running at nine o'clock at night. So, you know, runners definitely uh, are more type A. And because of that, you know, they tend to go at their training really hard. Uh, but, you know, just like you said, making sure that, that you know, you're, you know, we talked before about focusing on the process and doing the best you can today. A lot of the times, the best you can do today is running really slow. Mm -hmm. If that's the goal of the run, you know, if it's a recovery run, then the goal is to run really easy and make sure that you're focusing on active recovery. So, you know, like you said, you know, your some of your your running friends are trying to run their best 10k on, you know, just a standard 6 mile run. That's not the best way to do it. Yeah. You know, polarizing your training is uh is a concept that I also try to implement whenever I can. And that simply means let's make your hard days really hard yeah. and let's make your easy days really easy. Uh, and so there's less of that kind of gray zone training where, you know, every day is a moderate day because you're either hammering an easy run or, you know, you're too tired to actually hit your goal times during a faster workout. One of the, one of the favorite things I've heard, I think is Dr. Jack Daniels. I've heard him say is that, you know, if you don't, if you don't know what the workout's supposed to accomplish and he's going to question why you're doing the workout in the first place. And I, yes. I, I would assume you probably feel the same way. Hey, you've got to know exactly what that workout's doing for you in the first place as an athlete, right? Yeah. I think it's really important to know why you're doing a certain workout, how it fits into the whole uh, kind of uh, program design of your training program. You know, if, if you're just running random workouts, you know, you could be running a really great workout, but it's not specific to your goal race. Uh, it's not appropriate for you as an athlete. And that might mean it's too easy or it's too hard. So, you know, knowing why you're doing it is really important and doing it at the right time is really important. You know, one of the things that we see, whether it's in uh, an article on in runner's world or whether it's on someone's training plans that they printed out, and, and I know it's highly involved with what you do. We hear strength training or we hear 
uh, building up strength as a runner. And I think a lot of times for many of us runners, it's a foreign concept. You say, well, what is what exactly does that mean? So when you when you begin to to uh, to create what strength running is, when you talk about runners, about, hey, helping you get stronger. Can, can you kind of help walk us through that a little bit and what that really means? How do we how do we really get stronger and how does that help us stay healthier as well? Yeah, so there's a lot of different goals with strength training, and there's a lot of different types of strength training that runners can do. Um, the the exercises and the and the types of strength training that uh, I think most runners should be doing on really a daily basis or or after every single run are runner specific types of body weight strength exercises. You know things like. Um, planks, body weight squats, um, maybe single leg deadlifts, even if you're not using any weight, um, you know, might be more commonly called a runner touch or something like that. Um, and, you know, I, I tell my runners not to focus on exercises, but focus on routines, um, you know, a series of five to 10 exercises that you go through in order. And, um, you know, once you know the order, that's just the routine that you're going to do on that day. Uh, and, you know, the goals of strength training are, you know, A, let's, let's actually get stronger, um, but also let's move in different ways than we normally do. Uh, and also let's focus on the muscles that are helpful for runners, both for performance and for injury prevention. And, you know, the muscles like the glutes and the hips are really important for power and the running stride. And, you know, problems that high up in the chain always, almost always result in a running injury. If you have a, you know, a wonky hip or your glute isn't firing properly, or you have very weak glutes because you, you know, you sit down for 10 hours a day or something like that, then, um, you know, those exercises that focus on those two muscle groups are going to be super important for you. Um, you know, the other benefits and I was saying is doing movements that most runners typically don't do. Uh, you know, we have to realize that running is a very two-dimensional sport. You know, you're going forward and you're you're not moving in multiple planes of motion. You know, you're not moving side to side. You're there's barely any rotational movement when you're running. And so we need to recognize the fact that if you're only running, you're going to be a two-dimensional athlete. Mm. And I want to see very well-rounded athletes that can move very well. And so, you know, things like drills, um, you know, so it's not all strength work. It's right. learning how to move efficiently. Uh, these things can make runners a lot more efficient, uh, make sure that they can move more effectively and ultimately get far fewer injuries. One of the questions, and this stems back to me as I was talking with a uh, with with a guy runs. I met it. Uh, I met it to run Disney once, and he was telling me how how few runners actually maybe concentrate on a particular muscle. So he was using, for instance, the hamstring. He was like, it tends to be just a a muscle that that's not used a whole lot, or runners have a hard time uh, getting it to engage. Are there a couple of muscles in particular that you know that 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 create typical uh, injuries that we get as runners, but there, are there muscles we particularly may ignore a little bit more than we should? Yeah, I think most runners will uh, ignore the entire posterior chain. So these are the muscles on the back of the body, you know, the lower back, the glutes and the hamstrings. Um, and if I had to choose just one, it would probably be the glutes. And so, um, you know, exercises like uh, uh, squats, deadlifts are really great to engage the glutes. Um, just being more aware of your running form and making sure that you're not um, you know, slouching and kind of running in a, in a seated, uh, seated position. Um, you know, th that, that's something to be aware of, um, you know, and 
the other issue with the glutes is that they tend to become detrained when you sit down for long periods of time. And an unfortunate reality of modern life is that we spend a lot of our days sitting down. You know, I work for a good chunk of my day in front of a computer, like most people tend to do now, and I'm sitting down. So, um, you know, your your glutes are in a position where they're not doing any work, uh, they're, you know, stretched out, and, you know, you're not really engaging them in any way. And when you go running, especially if you run after work, you know, you can't just get up from your chair after you've been sitting for eight hours and then just go out for a hard workout. You know, you need to kind of ease into that and make sure that your glutes are uh, awake for, you know, lack of a better word and doing their job properly. And so, you know, I tell runners, you know, focus on the posterior chain, uh, hamstrings, glutes, lower back with maybe a little bit more focus on the glutes. So when you talk about like engaging the glutes, and it's funny that this, I had not heard it much until the last few weeks. And all of a sudden I'm hearing this a couple of times. So, you know, because, because as much as we spend sedentary and because we're not moving around, I assume that when we're running, it's hard to get our, our, I'm making an assumption. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So we're having a hard time getting our glutes to engage. So maybe in, in the warm up process, we're doing some squats, doing some things to help get them engaged in the first place. Is that kind of what we're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, a lot of runners, if, if, if it's something that, uh, you know, they're coming back to running after a 10 year layoff and they've been working a desk job, it's going to be a lot more challenging for them to make sure that their glutes are working properly. Um, you know, just like, you know, uh, the thing to remember is that muscles are very, uh, pliable and they remember the positions that you put them in. So if you're in front of your computer all day and you're hunched over like this, well, your muscles are going to remember that position and they're going to be more likely to be in that position at rest. So even if, when you're not hunched over a computer, uh, and the same thing goes for your lower body and really any muscle. So uh, a proper warm up, um, like a dynamic warm up, is really important. Um, you know, I have, there's a routine that I have all my runners do called the standard warm up, and there's a series of lunges included in that routine, in addition to some other exercises that are. Uh, focused on engaging the glutes and, you know, kind of waking them up before you go running so that uh, not only are you metabolically warmed up before you head out for your run, uh, but your muscles are also, uh, they're warmer, you have, you know, your joints are more lubricated, uh, and they're more likely to be firing properly when you start running. I think maybe a, a, a lack up of warm up and cool down is, is one of the one of the big things that we ignore and why we get injured as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, just like we were talking before with runners, you know, need to be athletes and they need to be strong. Uh, you know, I have this concept of sandwiching your runs. Uh, and so your workout for the day is never just your run. Mm -hmm. It is a dynamic warm up. Uh, it is then is your run. And then you should finish your run with a, um, you know, maybe 10, even just 10 minutes, maybe up to 15 or 20 minutes of uh, core or strength exercises. And if you just remember that one, that one thing, just sandwich your run between a dynamic warm up and a uh, strength routine afterwards, then you're going to reduce your injury risk. And, and my money is going to be uh, on you staying healthy for a very much longer period of time. Do you have any preferences when it comes to like cross training? Are there certain cross act, cross training activities that you prefer as a as a coach more more than others? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think there's two types of cross training. There's aerobic cross training. You know, things like cycling, swimming, pool running, the elliptical, uh, and then there's strength training. 
uh, doesn't really work your aerobic system or your cardiovascular system, mm -hmm. but it is uh, a very important type of cross training for runners. Uh, I think all runners need some type of strength training in their program to be the best runners that they can be. Uh, so I don't even really consider it cross training. It's just yeah. part of your training as a runner. Uh, then the other forms of aerobic cross training, like uh, pool running or cycling, um, you know, these are really great for runners who might be injury prone. Uh, so, you know, maybe they want to train for a marathon, but they're not able to run 50 miles a week. Well, they can maybe run 35 or 40 miles a week and do the equivalent of 10 or 15 miles a week, uh, either on the bike or in the pool. And so it can add some really great, um, a really great aerobic stimulus to their training. So they're gaining some extra endurance on top of the running that they're doing. Uh, and it also can help with recovery. You know, if you're taking a day off after your long run, uh, your recovery might actually be enhanced by getting in the pool for a half an hour and just doing 30 minutes of really easy pool running. Uh, not only is, you know, not only does active recovery usually beat passive recovery, but, uh, you know, the hydrostatic effects of the water can also be really helpful for, um, you know, helping uh, the recovery process. I, I know you have a chance to, uh, you put out a ton of incredible content, Jason. Lo, lo, I just, I love personally reading the content and I uh, know, know you help a lot of athletes. What do you love to hear? What, what gets you fired up at the end of the day? Uh, you know, after people come back from races, you have, I, I, I don't know if it's a couple of stories in particular, or, or what do you love hearing from people at the end of these things? And, and what, what, what kind of puts air back in your bubble at the end of the day? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, let me tell you, I love my job because at least once a day, I get an email from someone who accomplished their crazy running goal, uh, whether that's qualifying for Boston, running a PR in you know, a certain race or running a new distance. And that's really what puts the wind in my sails is yeah. helping runners accomplish whatever goal that they might have, you know, and runners are all different. You know, I, uh, I just helped a runner, um, you know, pass the FBI's fitness test, which included, uh, you know, a lot of running. Uh -huh. And, you know, I've also helped runners finish their first 100 mile ultra marathon, you know, wildly different running goals, yeah. but they're, uh, you know, it's all running and, yeah. you know, you can scale running up and down. And I think that's what I really like about coaching is that, you know, if you can help one runner, you're probably able to help a lot of very, very different runners, whether you're training for an obstacle course race or an ultra marathon or even just a 5K. Uh, and I think the stories that I really like to hear are, I accomplished the goal that I didn't think was possible. Uh, and, and I just love hearing that. You know, I, I write a bunch of case studies on the blog every once in a while. And you know, there's a couple that really uh, stick in my mind. It's the person who they're chronically injured. They can never run for more than a month or two without being hurt. And <clears throat> then they're finally able to run their first marathon. And, you know, during the marathon, they set a half marathon PR. And then, you know, they have, they have a finishing time that they're incredibly proud of. You know, that's like three crazy goals accomplished on one day. And, uh, you know, I, those are the kind of stories that, you know, are the reason why I just love my job. And that's, that's really fascinating. You know, when you talked about how, how you're coaching me from one extreme to the other, I assume, I mean, running's running at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's, I mean, as you begin to look and I, I know they're big numbers, but some of those numbers are big numbers, the hundred mile races, but I assuming the same principles apply kind of across the board, no matter what the distance, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the high level principles of training uh, apply to everyone. 
And you know, one of the one of my kind of secrets that I don't tell a lot of people is that I get recreational runners to train like elite runners. Mm. That doesn't mean they're running 110 miles a week or running, you know, 25 miles of that at a grueling pace. But what they are doing is we're taking the principles that elite runners use to be world-class and we're just scaling them back and we're doing those for average runners like you and me, you know, where uh, elite runners run high mileage. Okay. So now we're going to have recreational runners run high mileage. That might be only 35 miles a week for you, but if that's high for you, then that's fine. It's all relative. You know, elite runners do some strength training. You're going to do some strength training. And so by taking all these principles, you can apply these to, you know, someone who's just starting to run. And of course, you're not going to run high mileage your first week, but you know, it's a goal and we're going to gradually move toward that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just an important thing to remember is that running scales, it scales up and it scales down. And those principles, if we can adhere to them are going to really help you accomplish whatever goal you have. I, I, I love where you have come to as a runner and helping people stay healthy. And I know you talked about how many books you read and how, how you like to uh, learn from others. Are, are there a couple of people uh, in particular, a couple of authors or, or coaches in particular that have really influenced you over the years and influenced how you go about working with athletes? Yeah. Um, you know, I have to give credit to my college cross country coach, Jim Butler. He really, uh, you know, not only instilled in me the importance of, working really hard, but also the fact that you're never going to even see what your potential is unless you put in a lot of work. And, you know, he, he likes to joke around that the answer to every problem that you're having as a runner is run more mileage. Uh, you know, it's kind of a joke, but, you know, if you're not running fast enough, if you're getting injuries, it might just be because you're always trying to ramp up your mileage way too quickly. Um, and so I've learned a lot from, from him. Uh, I've also learned a lot from uh, Brad Hudson, who is a, an elite coach here in Boulder. You know, he's coached a lot of Olympians. Uh, his book, Run Faster, uh, is is my favorite training book that's that's out right now. I think the, you know, his his coaching and training philosophy is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then, you know, a focus on, you know, strength training and making sure that you're doing runner specific routines. Uh, you know, I was first introduced to that by Coach Jay Johnson, who's also uh, here in the Denver area, and he has a lot of uh, routines that, you know, even some of our, our viewers right now might be familiar with, the Myrtle routine or the pedestal routine. You know, these are, you know, they have hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube, and they're really popular uh, because they're so helpful for athletes. What, what is your final thought before I turn it over to, to bring it? I think we have some questions that we'd, uh, we'd love to ask you as well. But we, we talked a little bit uh, this week also kind of about running gait and kind of the running stride. And any feedback at looking, and, and this is extremely hard to, you can't see anyone, you can't see anybody run. It makes it very difficult. But do you have some general principles you try and tell people about what a, how to become more efficient as a runner at least? And maybe what are some of the basic principles that we want to hold to as we're looking to mm -hmm. uh, to become better runners as well? Yeah, I do. Uh, and, I, and I think any discussion of running form isn't complete without first knowing that if you're not having any problems, you know, if you're not prone to injury, you know, if you're able to, to train without interruptions, then it's probably a good idea not to mess with your form uh, because it's been shown that when you start you know, putzing around with your form, you will lose efficiency uh, until it's really ingrained in your kind of in your brain of how to move because it is a, a change fundamentally in how you move as an individual. Um, 
but with that said, you know, I think a lot of runners, especially beginners and, and recreational runners can do a couple easy things to their form that can really help with uh, running more efficiently and with helping them get far fewer injuries. Uh, and so what I look at is, let's first look at your cadence. And this is the number of steps that you take per minute. Um, you know, Jack Daniels, who's on here before, he's known for saying, you know, 180 steps per minute is kind of the goal. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy if a runner is over 170 steps a minute at okay. an easy pace, you know, that that's going to go up really high if you're running faster, especially if you're sprinting. But, you know, if your cadence is over 170, then that's a very good thing. If you're under 170, that's a red flag to me that, you know, you have more of a loping kind of bounding stride uh, and it's not as efficient. You're putting a lot more stress on your lower, on your legs and you're going to be at a much higher risk of injury. Uh, the other thing that I look at is where your foot is landing in relation to the rest of your body. You know, we've heard so much about heel striking versus forefoot striking and all this, but much more importantly is, are you landing way out in front of your body? Are you reaching out with your foot to mm. kind of have a long stride? Um, if you are, you're probably aggressively heel striking. And, you know, a heel strike isn't necessarily bad if it's more of a proprioceptive heel strike. Uh, and a good example of this is uh, Meb Klefleski. You know, he strikes with his heels, uh, mm -hmm. but he does it underneath his body. Mm -hmm. And when he puts his weight down, when he puts all of his weight down on his foot, it's more on the midfoot. So that's what I mean by a proprioceptive heel strike. And if you can get your cadence up to 170 or more while you're running an easy, comfortable pace, and you're landing roughly underneath your center of mass, right underneath your hips, then, you know, it's really going to help with, uh, you know, your overall posture, your efficiency. It's going to reduce that kind of heel smashing type of uh, foot strike that can be really problematic. And, you know, those those couple tweaks to running form will largely take care of a lot of the issues that, that folks might be having with their running form. You know, things like worrying about your arm carriage or, you know, whether you're running on your heels or supinating too much and all these things, a lot of that is is out of your control. You know, your arm carriage, for example, what your arms are doing are largely a function of what your legs are doing. So don't try to, you know, fix your arms because, you know, first you need to fix your legs. That's that's what to do first. Um, and so those two tweaks to your form, I think are the most important. That's very helpful. I, one more question, Brandon. I'm sorry, I keep I keep telling you I'm going to send it to you, and then no, I don't. But but uh, in fact, I just asked Brandon this before we before we uh, went on the air. Would love to know from you, uh, and, and I know a couple of them because I know the all I know the guys you mentioned. I know what they write. But uh, one of the things I love to ask people is, what have you read that we should read? Is there a favorite book, or is there something that you have read recently? Be like, hey, you'd be crazy not to read this one. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So I did recommend Brad Hudson's book, Run Faster. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really great um, kind of introduction to how runners should train, the types of workouts they should be running, uh, how they should structure all of their running. Um, but one book that I think is really helpful, and I probably have it right here, I'll reach down to my ridiculous running bookshelf, uh, is is Ready to Run by oh, wow. Dr. Kelly Starrett. Um, this book is all about injury prevention and making sure that, you know, you're kind of, you know, ready to run, you know, like the title says, but, you know, he talks a lot about uh, flexibility and uh, manipulating your body so that, you know, you can get into certain positions that, you know, kind of tell him as a physical therapist that you are ready to run, you know, like if you can't even do 
a body weight squat with proper form, that's going to be very, uh, that's a red flag because, you know, when you think about it, running is a series of one legged squats from one leg to the other, you know, very plyometric in nature, yeah. but, you know, it's essentially a quarter squat and that's what you do, you know, for thousands of steps, every single run that you have. And so I think run, ready to run looks at kind of the, um, uh, it's really from the perspective of a physical therapist. Uh, and I think it's a really valuable book for uh, injury, injury prone runners. Did we have Kelly? Did we have on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, we actually. So funny Kelly. you mentioned that. I was, just, I was like, that is very familiar. Yeah, yeah we had, um, it was episode 38. So any of you guys that are listening, if you just go connectrunclub.com and just look up episode 38 or just look up Kelly. Starrett. So cool. super smart guy out in uh, California. So doing some crazy CrossFit stuff. But yeah, we've got some questions coming in. So um, guys, as we're asking these, make sure and submit them forward slash Q or just type them in the comments and I'll get them in. Um, but the first one is coming from Mirna Valeria, who actually had on last week. Uh, she says, what kind of person benefits from online coaching? I'm always intrigued by who this attracts. <laughs> uh, I mean, here's the thing. Anyone who is really passionate about their running and wants to improve and wants to do it, you know, the best way possible, I think can benefit from a coach. Um, you know, I, I think there's a big misunderstanding that coaching is just for really fast runners or professional runners. Mm. But, you know, if you wanted to learn any new skill, you would go take right. lessons or right. you would go read a book and kind of adhere to best practices for for anything like that. Um, you know, just think to when you were a kid, if you were like, hey, I want to play soccer, what do you do? Well, you joined a soccer team and you had a coach and you were on a team and you did drills and, and kind of learned how to play soccer. Um, and, and running is not as running is very simple, but it's not necessarily as simple as a lot of people make it out to be. So without the guidance of a coach, runners can end up doing some really silly things. And that's why I think the, the injury rate is so high is because mm -hmm. nobody has guidance and people are doing really silly things with their training, uh, and they end up getting hurt. And so a runner who is either injury prone, they're just starting to run, uh, or maybe they've hit a plateau and they're, they're not sure how to break past that pl plateau to still continue getting personal bests. Uh, I think those are the people that are probably most suited for, uh, getting a coach, you know, but like, like we talked about, I've worked with so many different runners, uh, and, and helped runners with goals from, you know, weight loss to, you know, running under a certain time in the army's two mile fitness tests to ultra marathons. I mean, whatever your goal is, a coach is going to be able to help you get there. That's great. Uh, Myrna, who's commenting in the, in the comments, uh, she was actually in runner's world. She said she should probably hire a coach. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you do a call out. If folks wanted to hire you as a coach, Jason, what's the, the best, best way for them to do that? Um, the best way to do that is to, to just email me first. Um, you know, no one can just kind of join my, my one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Uh, I try to make sure it's a good fit before, uh, I start coaching someone, but they can just shoot me an email, a uh, really simple email address. It's just support at strengthrunning.com. Stuff. All right. So we got quite a few more, um, make sure I spelled that right. I'm putting it in the comment support at strength running. Okay. Um, all right. So more questions coming in. Uh, this is from doc to be, I've been saying your name wrong the whole week, uh, up in Chicago. She's asking, I'm getting ready for 50 K in October paranoid. I want to get in the mileage and to last. How much should one up the mileage weekly? 10%. Yeah. 10%. Question mark. Yeah. The 10% rule is, is kind of the common rule used um, pretty regularly. Uh, I think it's an incomplete rule. You know, a lot of runners can 
um, you know, I have this concept called baseline mileage, and this is the mileage that you're very comfortable doing. Uh, if it's not presenting any problems to you, if you're really comfortable running, say, 20 or 30 miles a week, uh, then that's your baseline mileage. And you can increase your mileage more aggressively than 10% up to that baseline, because at that point, it's just easy for you. Uh, but then once you're over that baseline mileage, once you're in mileage territory that makes you uh, more sore, that causes fatigue and, and things like that, um, then I think you need to be more cautious than 10%. You know, you might only go up 5% uh, per week, or you might go up 10% every other week. Uh, I think a, another good option is every, say, four to six weeks, roughly, schedule a recovery week or a down week where the mileage you know, takes a 20 to 30% cut. So you're actually reducing the mileage pretty consistently. Uh, and so by doing that, you're really focusing on recovery. Uh, you're helping your body really adapt to and adjust to the increasing mileage levels. So, you know, 10% rule is a fine guideline, but uh, for any runner who's who's doing mileage that is, is, you know, challenging them, they need to be a lot more cautious than 10%. That's great. Um, all right. So the, the next question is coming from uh, Myrna again. She says, what's your opinion on run less, run faster mode of training? Does it work? Um, who does this kind of training program work for? And we actually had um, Dr. What's your guy's name? Bill Pierce. Bill Pierce, yeah, mm -hmm. from the First Institute on good. last week. So yeah, what are your thoughts on run less, run faster? Um, here's the thing. I think any good litmus test of a training philosophy uh, is best evaluated in the context of are any elite athletes using it? Uh, because these guys are the best in the world, men and women. Uh, you know, they're training. You know, they do a lot of things that aren't really helping their training, but they have the, uh, a, the cash flow and B, the time to kind of do all these other extras that may not actually be helping them be better runners. But no runner, no elite athlete is only running three days a week and then doing a lot of cross training. Uh, and, and I think... I think that it, just using that litmus test, it fails. Uh, you know, you might see a lot of progress on the three-day-a-week run less, run faster program, uh, but you're only going to probably see that progress for a short period of time. And then, you know, a very limited training schedule like that is not going to produce the the increases in fitness that you need to continue improving. So ultimately, you know, you need to run more. And what is one of the principles that we discussed about what elite runners do that I think all runners should strive for is run more mileage. And, you know, all, most of it is very easy. Um, you know, we're not running hard for any additional mileage that you're adding, but, uh, you know, if you really want to, you know, see what you are capable of as a runner, only running three days a week is not a good way to do it. Uh, and I, and I think that focusing on three workouts a week, uh, is a really good way to, to make you sore because you know, that's, that's two faster workouts and a long run. Uh, and then you have no recovery mileage. Uh, it's all either really long, all long running or fast running. Uh, and so I don't think it's a complete type training schedule. And follow up to that too, Jason, and, and my, my question, especially on that and, and kind of what I think I've always heard is that it is the, it's the, the long running, the easy running, the slow running that is be, that helping make us efficient as runners. And so, I mean, if we're not, we're not doing that running, it, it, am I right that there's a lot of development that happens oh, yeah. in that easy, slow pace? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything from, you know, general endurance, you know, mitochondria development, uh, you know, 
improvements in your running form and efficiency, those things only come when you just log a lot of miles. Um, and, you know, you look at any, look at any uh, college level or university level cross country or track program where runners are training for everything from, you know, the, the mile all the way up to the 10K, they're, none of them are running three days a week. Yeah. Uh, and so when you look at, okay, no, no good college, no, probably no college team in the United States uh, or no professional runner is running only hard workouts and then just taking the other days off running and just doing some cycling or swimming. So why should, why should a recreational runner? Uh, yeah. Now, look, if you don't have time to run more than three days a week and you're truly strapped for time, then that's the best you can do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are curious about what you can do as an athlete, uh, as a runner, then I would not recommend the program. I think there's far more effective ways at training. It's a good answer, Jason. I like it. All right. Uh, we've got another question from Lou Horashinsky, I think. Uh, it says, what exercises or types of runs can you suggest to improve cadence? Right. So uh, cadence is something that will improve uh, with with overall fitness. Uh, you know, I think if you're running a variety of workouts and different paces, then uh, your cadence will naturally increase over time. So, you know, for example, let's get you running at, you know, 5k, 10k pace. That's a really good kind of a, you know, more like a VO2 max type of effort that uh, will ingrain a lot of efficiency into your stride. Things like strides or hill sprints are really good uh, types of, of running exercises that are going to be helpful for improving your cadence. Um, the other thing is drills. So, you know, exaggerated movements that runners can do to help improve their efficiency, you know, things like, um, uh, you know, taking, uh, I don't, I don't know the name of it, but it's like the, the quick step drill where you take a, a lot of fast steps mm -hmm. in a short period of time, you know, things like that, where you're really working on the neuromuscular efficiency, you know, how well your brain communicates to your legs. Those are things that you can help with your cadence, but ultimately, you know, just count how many steps you take a minute and then try to increase that by five or 10 steps for a few minutes. And you do that a couple times, every easy run. And very soon it, it sorts, so, sort of come, becomes more natural. That's good. Uh, all right, we've got a couple more coming in. Uh, this one is from Hugo Portella. He says, I started strength training two weeks ago doing IT band exercises, but now feeling some short time pains um, exactly on that zone outside the knee, particularly when starting slowly on a run. Is it normal? Uh, should I continue the exercises or change them? Right. So it sounds like uh, Hugo is not entirely uh, ready to run. Uh, if, you know, he's, if he has IT band syndrome and when he starts to run, you know, he's still getting some pain on the outside of the knee, which is almost always IT band syndrome, then he's probably not ready to, to, to run. You know, he's probably, um, you know, still, still in that injury phase where he's experiencing some pain. So I would stay uh, really consistent with the, uh, the, the exercises he's doing. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, do some foam rolling and self-massage, you know, not just on the IT band, you know, the, the IT band is like a truck tire, you know, you're not really going to stretch it out and nor do you want to, you know, it's, it's supposed to be tight to do its job. It's, it's there to provide stability. So you don't want a, 
a loose IT mm -hmm. band, but you do want, you know, supple muscles around the IT band. So try to get in, um, you know, the quad, the hamstring, the hips and glutes, you know, the entire upper leg region with foam roller and also with, you know, um, either a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball to really focus on any trigger points you might have, particularly in the glutes and the hips. That's great. Um, sweet. And then I'll see the last question from the audience is from doc to be again. Um, what do you think about splitting a long run in the AM and PM on the same day due to time constraints? Uh, yes. If you're truly constrained by time and that's the only way to do it, then that's what you have to do. Uh, I don't think it's the most ideal option, uh, because, you know, just the, uh, you know, the purpose of the long run is to gain endurance. And there are things that happen within the body after, you know, say about nine, 80 to 90 minutes of running that you're just not going to get if you split your run, long run up into two one hour runs. So, um, you know, you can split it up. And if, if that's all you can do, I think that's better than, you know, just doing one short run. Uh, now, with that said, I would hope that, you know, you try to prioritize getting the long run in in one run. Uh, you know, once a week, especially if you're training for a longer race, like a half marathon or marathon, you know, the, those races aren't, you don't do half in the morning and half in the afternoon. So, you know, I think in the interest of specificity to the race that you're training for, it's very helpful to do it as, as one run, uh, because you do get those benefits that you simply don't get if you break it up. That's great. Uh, all right. So we got a, a couple last questions. We know we're, we're bumping up on the time. Um, what is your favorite race experience? the team you've ever had? <laughs> oh man, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I had so many race experiences that, uh, really stand out to me. I think, you know, when I was a senior in college, I, um, I started training for the steeplechase, which is, which is a ridiculous wow. event. I yeah. mean, anyone who <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. It's 3000 meters, uh, with, there are, I think, five barriers on every lap. So every quarter mile, you have to jump over a three-foot-tall barrier. And yeah. I'm five foot seven. I'm not a tall guy. <laughs> yeah. So three feet is... Like a high is that, there's your high jump. <laughs> right. That, I finally got my high jump with running, right? And then, of course, one of those has a, a huge water pit after yeah. the barrier. Uh, and so when I started training for that, I didn't know what to expect. And then I, I ran my first steeplechase. And uh, I loved it. It was such an interesting race. Uh, it requires so much more focus because you can't forget about those barriers because they're not like hurdles. You know, you hit a hurdle and the hurdle falls down. If you hit a barrier, you fall down. Yeah. And you're probably going to have to drop out of the race because you've destroyed your kneecap or something like that. But uh, I had a great time with the steeplechase. And I ended up, uh, you know, being a, a decent steeplechaser, uh, at least for you know, for, from where I was at as an athlete at that time. And, uh, I think whenever you can test yourself with a new type of race, uh, then I, I think, you know, it teaches you a lot about yourself and it teaches you uh, a lot about, you know, what you actually like to do. Uh, and since then I've done trail races and, uh, I've, I've actually won a warrior dash and that was one of my favorite memories of all That's time. Awesome. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and it was my first and only obstacle course race. It was back in 2012, but you know, I like doing different, different types of running races every once in a while to keep things interesting. That's real good. Well, um, if folks want to keep up with you and you've got tons of resources on your site, um, what are some of the best ways folks can just keep up with what you got going on? 
stuff you're putting out? Uh, yeah, the best place is is the website strengthrunning.com. Uh, I I do release a lot of stuff just to my my email readers. So there's um, either a, the free injury prevention course that we talked about, or uh, if people just want to sign up on the homepage of the site, uh, I've got a lot of coaching lessons that that come via email there. Um, but of course, I'm also on Twitter, Jason Fitz One, and uh, yeah, I look forward to connecting with people. It's up. Well, thanks for hanging out with us today. So we Absolutely. always enjoy talking with you and uh, we look forward to seeing the great stuff you're putting out in the future. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks again, Jason. It's our pleasure. Hey, before you leave today, first, I just want to thank you for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed me being interviewed for a change. And please, if you really liked this format and you want to hear me wax poetic about even more running topics, please go on iTunes and leave an honest review of the podcast here. Let me know you like this episode and I'll do more of them. I also want to thank Inside Tracker for helping me get this episode to you. If you're not sure what they do, they basically have you go to a blood lab, give a few vials, and then they test you for 40 plus biomarkers, things like vitamins, minerals, and even hormones like testosterone, cortisol, human growth hormone, and a host of others. Unlike genetics, these biomarkers are dynamic, and they can be modulated by interventions such as diet and supplementation, what your exercise habits are like, and your lifestyle. And so from a small blood sample, Inside Tracker is able to generate a really personal recommendation on how you can optimize your wellness and more importantly, I think, your running performance. Uh, and that's why it's been so popular among elite runners because they can use it to detect overtraining or other deficiencies that they can then correct before their goal race. Like, uh, for example, you can go back to episode 34 of the podcast with Magda Boulay and you can see how she used the testing service both before and after the Western States Endurance Run to optimize her performance and then optimized her post-race recovery. So if you are training for a difficult race, you want to ramp up your recovery, or you're just searching for another way to improve, get 10% off any test that you'd like at InsideTracker.com. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case-sensitive. And it can be used for you know any tier from the affordable do-it-yourself kit to the ultimate package, which is the one that I got. So use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at InsideTracker.com. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and we'll be in touch soon.